This is Rugga Matrix America. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com, joined, as usual, by Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And, Bruce, you're out in Cape Cod, so uh, first thing is, if there are seals in the water, do not go swimming with the seals because the sharks are circling right around. I only go to the pond because my kids are pretty young, so we we don't necessarily go to the go to the beach. We just go to the ponds in in Wellfleet. And uh, I know this is a little bit further in toward Chatham as your old stomping grounds. And I just spoke to Pat. His mom just recently retired for the second time, and she looks like she'll be coming up here with Patrick either here or Martha's Vineyard. So nice. very exciting stuff. Just stay away from the seals. Yeah, in fact, I, I saw the picture of the sharks uh, out, um, I, and I thought, I used, I used to go swimming there. I used to hang out there. So it's a little scary because I was irrationally afraid of sharks at the time, and it turns out it wasn't irrational. Pat, so you're, you're, uh, you're thinking about making a, a, a trip out to Cape Cod. Yeah, for some reason, uh, for my mom's retirement trip, she picked Massachusetts, so... Um, I, I guess we're, we're thinking about doing that, yeah. That sounds great. All right. Well, we have a great show for you. This week we have the USA National Team head coach, Mike Tolkien, on the show. And we're going to get right to it because we do have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Alex. Good to be on. Mike, let's do a quick overview of your first set of uh, test matches with the USA team. Uh, we, had, we had a very close loss to... Canada, sort of a you know a couple little rusty moments, I guess, um, and and new player moments were the difference there. And then a really nice win over Georgia in Glendale, Colorado, and then um, the final game, which in many ways was was wonderful, and in many ways wasn't, uh, ended up being a thirty ten win for Italy. Uh, you had the two red cards in the second half, one of them four minutes into the second half, which pretty much um, was the death knell for any hopes of winning that game. It was 20 to 10 at the time. But um, I guess one of the big positives there, 17,000 people went to see the game, uh, which is which is really good for the game in many ways. So looking back on those three games, do you look back and think, ah, if only this, if only that, do you start niggling on the details to get to get victories out of those well, you know I wish I could have we could have done this and we would have won or do you just sort of put those results behind you and start looking ahead well I, I think it's definitely you know human nature and coaching nature is there's definitely as you review the films you know post tour and uh, you know getting reports together there's a lot of I wish you know or wish we would have you know especially with the game being so close in uh, in Canada uh, so there's definitely those moments for sure um, but you know the, the thing is you know it this first assembly was a building point to see where we were you know to implement our system to get our our team together and it, it's going to be our launching point but certainly there are moments you look at and say geez if we had done a few things differently or this would have happened but uh you know i suppose any coach can say that mike looking forward to the fall internationals and the arc 
What's your vision? What What's your vision? I, I you know, the U.S. under twenties had tremendous success. Then you have the eighteens are going to be playing, and as are the college all Americans. And then and then you're going to be going to the ARC, and you're going to be having a tour of Europe. Can you just talk us through what your vision is and what your expectations are, and who's doing what, and just you know, kind of lay out what's what's happening this summer up into up into the November internationals. Sure. The um, first of all, the under twenties was outstanding. You know, while we were on finishing up our tour, uh, the guys were watching each game. You know, the, the squad was watching each game as we uh, as they went on in their tournament, and it was really great to see them get that win. And uh, you know, hard work by the coaches and players, and a lot of dedication. And uh, as your article had mentioned, uh, you know, the guys really put in a lot of time and, and made a lot of sacrifice. So that was awesome. And just spoke to Scott Lawrence yesterday about it, and uh, you know, starting to look at players to to move along. Um, the All Americans will be in Ireland in early to mid August, and they'll be playing two matches there. And so we're looking at a lot of players, uh, you know, as possibilities to move into the ARC. Uh, some of them overlap, you know, from our Eagles squad and ARC squad. So uh, I've been working with Matt Sherman and his staff to, uh, you know, try to streamline who are players who look like they're going to move on and, you know, kind of ranking those players in the depth chart. Uh, and then Mike Engelbrecht and Salty Thompson with the under 18s, they were out in Denver for a week and uh, came to a lot of our trainings and we met with them and, you know, it was, uh, it was certainly good to talk to them and they have a, an epic tour coming up to South America in July. They're leaving in mid-July, and they have five test matches, I believe, in Chile, uh, Uruguay, and finishing up with Argentina, if I'm correct. And uh, they're they're also going to get their you know their second level matches as well. You know, kind of a a B game. And uh, you know, we'll talk to them after that tour. I was lucky enough to be able to see them in April while they were in England. I saw them play uh, Wales. So I got a, a kind of a feel of what their team is like. So it really is it's really exciting to see, you know, all these uh, levels, you know, the, kind of the pathways, if you will, you know, uh, ambitious and successful. And also speaking to the coaches, uh, all of, you know, all of us know each other and have done for years. And it's really great and exciting to kind of start meshing and streamlining the system. Mike, how do you balance when you're looking to call up a college guy? Um, what his college season may or may not be and, and those commitments and, and how do you, you know, do you, what considerations do you make when you may, maybe want to call up a college guy into a camp? Well, in, in the summer, obviously, Pat, it makes it a little easier. You know, they, they generally have off time. And uh, so it makes it easier in terms of the schedule. Um, first thing in terms of talent, you know, we go by the depth chart. Who, who is our top guy uh, at, at this position? Uh, if he turns out to be a college player. Um, then, you know, we look at his availability and, uh, in college, in summer, it's easier in the fall. It's going to become a little more difficult with the ARC. Uh, some colleges obviously are more demanding and getting time off from those colleges is more difficult for the student, uh, versus others. So that becomes a consideration. And then, you know, we have to move down the depth chart if, uh, if one player <clears throat> from the college is not available. Um, Mike. I got a an observation. Uh, it seems as though you are 
way more involved in the age grade rugby than, you know, all the way through the grades from, from under 18s all the way up through the senior men's Eagles. than perhaps some of the other Eagle coaches have been in the past. Is that by design? Is that, is that your job description now that you're kind of in charge of senior men's rugby up, up and down the track? Well, I think it's vital, you know, that, that we have a grasp on these players and, uh, you know, communicating with the coaches often is, is critical to that. Um, things happen in a hurry, you know, an under 20, an all American, um, you know, in the blink of an eye is, you know, the next guy up for the Eagles. You know, if you just look at Sean Davies and Seamus Kelly and, you know, a couple of those, uh, guys who are still in college or just kind of finishing up college, you know, the blink of the eye, they're ready to go. And so we have to know as much about them as we can, you know, getting us ready. So uh, that's critical. I, you know, even going down to the 18s, I mean, yeah, they might not be ready to step into the Eagles right now, but, you know, monitoring who is a guy to look out for and how we can best prepare them with their coaches uh, is vital. And, you know, within one, two or three years, they could be suiting up for the Eagles. And we have to know what they can do how we can best prepare them for their particular position in the game. And, uh, and, and that is totally dependent on working together with their coaches and the players. That to me is, is the critical thing is the communication with their coaches. And I, and I know that you've, you know, you've discussed even our players with me. So it's, it's just, and I, I like, do you have a good relationship? Do you know, all or most of the coaches within the community of players that you're looking at in your depth chart at the 19s, 18s, or 20s level, do you leave that to more to the guys at that level and then they feed the information up to you? Meaning, like, do you, if a guy's saying Xavier Kid is an under 18, it's probably a crappy example um, just because you're there a lot, but say Xavier Kid is an under 18, do you leave Salty and Michael to talk to, to Joe and Greg? Um, and then feed that information back to you as they get more ready, or to, do you get into it, especially if you see somebody with tremendous upside potential, or do you just make it a read? Well, it's more, it's to, to, yeah, kind of to make the system work better. It's um, I leave it to the coaches to do most of the communicating with their players' club coaches. Uh, you know, on some instances, I'll certainly uh, talk to the club coaches. And, um, you know, some of them I know, and I'll just be talking to them anyway. Uh, but in terms of streamlining it, it's easier. Say, for example, if a, um, you know, a Matt Sherman, uh, you know, has his whatever he's taking, 20, 28, 30 players. He speaks to their coaches, um, say, Matt, hey, player X is looking really sharp. And, you know, we, we, we think a lot of them. Uh, what can you give me back? And Matt has spoken to their coaches and seen their films. The big thing is that those coaches have watched a lot of film. And like in the case of Scott Lawrence in the 20s, they've seen them in camp, you know, day in, day in, sometimes over a two-year period. So I let those guys who have intimate knowledge of those players and relationships with their coaches deal with that, gather the information, and then they, they'll feed it on to me. You have to make an investment right with, with these young players you're deciding on whether to make an investment of time and often money so you you also have to know whether these players are really dedicated and and interested in doing 
all the work that it takes to be an international rugby player because it's not it's not easy unless unless they get a pro job and even then it's not easy but it's not easy to just say yeah I'm going to I'm going to put rugby high up on my list right i mean the, the example i like to use is you know is just that alex it's a resource um you know just like any natural resource if you think it's worth something you're going to invest in it and it could be a big payoff or it could be a bust and you know i i think that our players you know, not not certainly not to make them a commodity, but we're investing in, you know, future payoffs with our players. And I think, you know, in, investing in them and doing everything to make them work is, is vital. You balance trying to deal with the young players and with the older players uh, going into the assembly here in June. Uh, you had, you know, I, I think you were very conscious, conscious of trying not to throw somebody in at the deep end. Although in the end, you were kind of forced to do that at fly half against uh canada because uh you know you were looking at toby lestrange and he got hurt and obviously had uh, roland suniula but he got hurt um that that you didn't really want to use him so um will holder uh ended up starting that game and i think i think in, in certain certain aspects of his game struggled and in certain aspects of his game he did fine but for the most part i was i was looking at the series as a whole mike and you had um you gave you gave new caps to seven players and I should probably say you didn't give them to them. They earned, there were seven players who earned their first cap of those three of them only had sort of a short period of time in the game. Uh, Asbin, uh, Leo Fow and uh, Sean Davies. Um, Will Holder started a match and then played in two others. Uh, Taylor Mokate and Andrew Duratalo both played pretty much half um, of the time that they were there. And then Luke Hume uh, started and played pretty much the entire game uh, most of the series. Um, and, and, and they're all different people, but how did you feel about the the introduction of these newer players into the system? And and obviously the ones who, who got more time, Mo Kate's been playing a lot through the age grades and, and playing in New Zealand. Uh, Duratalo has a lot of experience. Hume has has a lot of experience. So those are experienced guys. But 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 how is it getting less experienced guys and younger guys into the Eagles sphere when you've got the um, when you've got these established players as well and you've got you've got an established way of doing things? Well, the first thing is it has to happen. You know, and especially at this point where after a World Cup, you'll lose players. You know, I think we lost five through retirement, um, a couple from not being available. And then another few who, you know, don't don't make the grade uh, at this point. So, you know, you have a void there where you need to get in new players and you have to at some point start getting in the young players who are going to carry you through the next World Cup and uh you know, maybe the next two World Cups or in the rare case, three World Cups. So you got to bring in young new players uh, for sure. And I think that, you know, we looked at some young guys and I think some of the fellas that we took are are pretty exciting to have in the system. You know, Sean Davies had a great year with uh, with BYU and shows some, you know, great elements to his game, uh, his kicking, his running. You know, he's he's a good passer. Uh, you know, you have a Seamus Kelly who's been from, from his high school days has really been a dominant player and has, you know, been leading Cal, uh, you know, with a good runner, good tackler, good poacher. Uh, you know, and those are a couple examples. Mo, Mo Kate, I think was really important that he got back in New Zealand because 
it kind of had some lag time where he probably didn't play the ball that would have developed him from his days of being an under-18 player or an under-19 player, uh, where he was a very good prospect and did perform well in the age grade, and kind of had a lull for a number of years. Um, so getting him back in a really competitive environment was important, and I and he still certainly has a ways to develop. But you know you could see moments and times where he was certainly the player of the caliber that got him onto that age grade program. Um, Luke Hume is a young guy uh, who he looks a little older, but um, he uh, you know certainly a real gem. And you know I've been lucky enough, and Bruce had been lucky enough to see him over the last three years with Old Blue. And maybe not lucky because he'd usually be shredding Nyack apart. Um, but, you know, we knew the talent that he possessed. And, you know, he had a great background in Australia playing with the Cowboys in, in rugby league. And he's a great talent. And as soon as he became, you know, uh, eligible to play for America, you know, I knew I was going to have him. So overall, you think that, um, well, well, really, really what it is, is each player has his own individual needs and his own individual things that he can uh, bring to the team and you have to develop those and you have to deal with those individually. That's right. You know, it's, it, um, you know, the, the player will go away from, from the assembly and, you know, he'll get his review shortly after, but that also includes meetings throughout the whole assembly with those players. So they know where they stand. They know what they need to improve on. Uh, you know, their coaches will be spoken to about, you know, what they can do to help out the process for the guys who still may be in, you know, uh, in, in university or, or club ball here domestically. Mike, I wanted to ask kind of about, um, we were talking about the age grades and that's sort of a farm system and kind of scouting um, related in the Super League. Um, we had another team drop out in the Chicago Griffins. Um, I don't, I have no idea what's going to happen um, with the Super League, but, and it seems like every year somebody's predicting that it's going to fall apart. But let's say that it did. How much harder does that make your job um, in terms of scouting because of the video sharing and that sort of thing. And also D1A is um, really fluid right now and it's going to be around next year. But uh, you know, if those two upper echelon, you know, uh, leagues kind of fall apart and they both have a video sharing requirement um, so they can guys like you can watch their games and scout. How, how much harder does that make your job? If there is no super league and there is no D1A. Well, it it does because, I mean, it makes it harder for sure because uh, I think with the Super League, you have a concentrated league of, you know, teams that are, are the top part of the league, uh, the top part of the country, uh, you know, and, and certainly in 1DA, as I've always said, is that there are, there are teams who are capable of playing, you know, in a Super League schedule, um, you know, against Super League teams uh, and not having that structure uh, of having a, a set schedule of the top teams and uh, mostly the top players in the country to look at and the video sharing really makes it difficult. And one thing that I've, uh, Pat, that I've, you know, advocated, you know, for a while and, you know, in, into getting this position is, uh, you know, we need to have some type of uh, representative competition, um, whether it's similar to the old ITTs whether it's the top 50 to 100 players in the country, uh, similar to what the women are doing right now in Colorado for the week, uh, we need to get our top players together where the staff can review them uh, at once playing against their true competition. And, I, and it's something that, you know, I've begun to work on, you know, from day one, 
and how we can best make this happen. What are the best dates? What's the best setup? What kind of finances can be covered and not covered? So it, it's something that we're trying to get together. And I think that's really vital in answering the question of what's going to happen with the Super League and D1, uh, D1A. And, uh, you know, I, I think that type of competition would uh, would help to resolve that, whatever happens with those leagues. I think it's funny that it's actually two different things are happening to D1A right now and the Super League, but they present the same problem to you. With D1A expanding and and what appears to be more and more teams thinking at least about joining entire conferences into the competition, that's more and more teams, more and more. And then on the other side, the Super League shrinking. It's the same problem for you, which is uh, scouting players. They're either that's not right. there or there's so many there, you don't know where to find them. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, those are those are what I refer to as the loose ends because it it's difficult. You get a lot of recommendations. You get an email, a phone call. You meet someone. I got this guy here. This guy's in Arkansas. This guy's in Missouri. This guy's in – and it, it does make it challenging. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys I trust, uh, eyes around the country, and, you know, guys who can kind of – start giving me support and back up, you know, as any coach would have. Uh, and that helps, but it, it's a big task to, to try to tie the loose ends together for sure. A lot, a lot of you were talking about the investment in players before. And I, and I noticed that a lot of the investment is in things that are not necessarily what I would say tangible. A lot of people talk about talent identification, talent identification. I mean, you don't have to identify talent. If a guy's really talented, like Luke Hume, I mean, it, it's it's almost impossible to hide it. And and I think that one of the things that we've learned, especially through the athletic club more than anything, was character assessments and and a guy who's dedicated and a guy who's willing to put in the hard yards and a guy who shows up at training enthusiastically every single time. I think that you especially bringing Steve Durant on board and, and a lot of the staff members that you have are, are kind of like, are kind of like those type of people anyway, that I think that a lot of what you're doing now is investing in almost what I would say, non rugby things that are ultimately more important to your success in rugby are your character issues. I, I would argue that to the nth degree and and I just would like you to discuss that. And even you may you may agree or disagree with me, but I think talent is talent. I mean, when you have it, you have it. But if you have talent without character, it, it, you're essentially useless. I think it's a, it's a house of cards. Um, talent without character is a house of cards when it comes to a team. Uh, it's always been a, it's always been a cornerstone of of teams that I've coached. And my coaching philosophy is. You know, you, you have to have a policy of, of character on the team. And, you know, it, I think that team culture is something that a lot of people use, and rightfully so. But what is team culture? Team culture is how we define ourselves as a team. And individuals define how the team is made up. So from, you know, early days, from the coaches that I've selected to be on my staff, all men of, of character and, you know, no one's above the program. Uh, solid rugby people on top of that. Uh, they kind of set the tone. And the veterans who, who came in and who remained, you know, they're players of integrity and character. And the players themselves, the squad came up with, you know, the important aspects of our team are going to be about respect and character. And they have to be because that 
that sets the stage and the foundation for the long-term success. You know, there'll, there'll be a degree of talent with the initial pool. And then once the foundation of character, you know, I think character was shown in that Italy game, 13 guys for about 15 minutes. Those guys didn't quit. And I would say Italy were lucky to squeeze through a try in there. Well, we were lucky on a couple of occasions on some opportunities, but, you know, all in all, you know, if a tackle had been made at the end, you know, maybe we don't let up any tries in the second half uh, where we were down one and two players. That's character. You know, if you don't have the respect for your teammates and the respect for the program and the jersey you're wearing, you don't see that type of performance. So I think that kind of underscores where we want to be as a team. The talent will come. The guys will work hard to get better. And that's what's really critical to this Eagles program. We are going to be right back. We're still with Michael Tolkien, the head coach of the USA national team. And we're just going to take a quick break here on Rugged Matrix America. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, we're back talking with the Eagles head coach, Mike Tolkien. And, Mike, I, I wanted to uh, go back. You, you you talked about the the character shown at the USA-Italy game, and I think that's uh, completely true. And I and, and really, I, I would hope once the fans got over the disappointment of realizing that the team was uh, a man down and then two men down and it wasn't going to happen um, in terms of an upset, they would realize what the players were doing. They really were putting everything they had into it, and, and that game could have blown up in their faces, and, and, it, and it didn't. But... Um, I, I did want to sort of look a little bit at, at at some issues surrounding the team coming into June and then coming out of June, how we feel about them. So a, cu- a couple of things I wanted you to comment on. First of all, the offense. The offense was a, was a big issue last year. Um, really high phase counts, but not a lot of uh, high yardage gained counts. And certainly the number of tries, uh, not very high. USA was last in the, the 2011 World Cup in points scored. And tell me your assessment of how the offense did uh, in June. Well, I think the offense, um, you know, it's still finding its feet and players are adjusting to a new style of play. But um, I think that it's taken root. And I think that, you know, throughout the – I think especially in, in – in games two and three, maybe so in, in two, uh, at least tough to really get an offense started, you know, no matter who you are. Uh, I think that when you're playing top teams, you have to go and try to score points. Um, if you try to keep the ball and not make mistakes and, you know, just go and play that type of game, then you never have a chance of victory. Um, you may not lose by a lot but you never have a chance of victory. You never put them under pressure. You never make them tired. You never make them second guess yourself. So number one, I think that you have to put teams under pressure and that's what we're trying to do in multiple ways, whether it's interior, whether it's going wide, whether it's changing field, we're trying to put teams under pressure. I think number two, using the resources that you have. uh, I think in the summer you saw what Luke Hume could do. We know what Wiles can do. James Patterson, Paul Emmerich, you know, these guys on the outside, you know what they can do. 
um, and they're good runners and they're good athletes. And getting these guys more involved in a game in the open field is really vital. Andrew Suniulo did his part uh, by having some uh, a stormer of a game against Georgia and even against Italy, some good hard runs, you know, against Canada, some hard runs. And so, you know, he did his part by keeping the defenses honest and doing the thing that he does really well, uh, that he can do very well and did this summer is, is really take advantage of his size um, and his footwork. So I think that lastly, we're playing a game that players like to play. Now, I don't think a team and players can dictate, you know, how you play the game. But I do think that if they're enjoying playing the game, they're going to try to play it better and they're going to have fun doing that. Having fun playing and having fun working almost always results in a better performance. Petri is getting massacred on blogs about when he moves off the base of a ruck before passing to draw the A defender. And you, you use the term pillar AB as, as the interior defense. Could you please explain to people that that is actually a tactic and that it's not something that just happens off the cuff, <clears throat> that when he wants to move the ball to 10, he just passes from the base. But if he does want to draw the, the interior defense, they don't get a free shot. Can you just talk through that briefly as the uh, so that people stop smashing them for – for doing something that's really not wrong. Yeah, well, in the in the strategy there is that uh, when you want to go fast, um, you know, and get to your backs, you're going to pay, pass off the base with no steps at all. You know, and that that's very standard worldwide, anywhere. Um, and that usually follows a line break or it follows, um, you know, a, a gain line, fastball, boom, right out to the backs, no steps. And you know, Mike is as good as anyone passing from the base no steps, no, no wind up and putting it on target with a good firm pass. So he's great at that. Uh, and when it's on, it's done. Uh, most of the time in phase play, you're not making line breaks and you might make a very modest gain over the gain line. And in order to prevent defenders from targeting your forward runners, whether you have two or three, you need your scrum half to hold people. You need someone to hold people. And when a scrum half takes a run off the base of a ruck, it's to hold those first two defenders and create uncertainty. Uh, when you hold those first two defenders, you then create uncertainty from the third and the fourth and maybe the fifth defender. Do they tackle the runner coming inside or do they tackle a runner going outside? Those runners, forward runners usually, will hit gaps. You know, they'll look for the gaps at particular shoulders and they'll hit them and a halfback will, will take his choice and hit the appropriate runner. So it's not that Mike or any other scrum half in our program and, and many other programs uh, are taking the ball and just wandering around the field. They have actually a very specific role that they're trying to fulfill. Uh, and having a run will immediately hold two defenders from not getting into the open field and doubling up tacklers. And it also is meant to pre present uh, a little bit of uh, – confusion, indecision on the outside uh, outside defenders. People who are complaining about that don't seem to watch a lot of international rugby because that 
that tactic is not or, or that type of approach is not rare. No. And and you know, it worked for George Gregan. It's just and I I'm a big fan of the the quick pass off the ground. That's why one of the reasons why I really like Mike Petrie, but it's not the only thing what what I'm not a big fan of is is the the mindless crow hop. And I think uh, where where the the scrum half picks the ball up and then thinks about where he should pass it, and you see the indecision. That's not the case here. We're talking about it's clear he's picking it up and he's running a, a, a direction that he expects to run, and he's got options that he's looking to use. That seems but really I, fairly clear. Alex, sometimes that crow hop can can hold a guy too. It's just a it all it is is a, is a split second of indecision. So there are times that actually tactically you will use a crow hop as well. But we're not going to get into that. I just wanted to get into right. that offensive part of it while you asked about the offense. That was important to me because it's driving me nuts when people do that. One one more thing on the offense, and, and Mike, you, you can comment on it or not, but you know, talking about the difficulty of getting through Italy, and I and I think that was the watching the game, that, that old frustration started to bubble up within me. There's lots of phases, not a lot of breakthrough, but there was no offside, no offside line in that game. Yeah, we had, you know, we, we certainly uh, were frustrated a bit with the uh, with the offside aspect of it. But I think even more than that, Alex, the part that was frustrating in the last two times that we played Italy um, in the World Cup and here, and, I, you know, it, it happens to a lot of teams. And, you know, it it's in the tackle area where there really is not a big effort to roll away. Um you know, just watching the game over and over, if you look at that tackle area, you'll see times when, you know, the ball comes out on Italy's side and there's no way it should if things were done legally. And that's frustrating. One thing Italy does is their line speed is very good on the interior. You know, if you look at players from from a ruck from one to five, they get up and they, they get upfield and their line speed is good. But when they get into the tackle area, they make it very difficult uh, and I thought that could have been marshaled better by the referee. I thought he was a little liberal in that instance. Um, and, and that was frustrating because you do get a lot of phase play. And I think against Italy, you really have to have a good kicking game uh, to get out of that. So the, the feeling is that the USA still has a lot of work to do just to garner enough reputation to be able to get some calls in international play. Because right, ne- right now, they've, you know, for years they've been in a situation where the scrum goes down, it's called against them. You know, if there's a penalty that that would be a penalty of strength and power, they get called. And if it's a penalty that would be a penalty of of bailing out and weakness, they get called for that. And I I just you know that that's that's been a frustration, but it's partly based on the reputation that the United States has in the scrum, and the and and the Eagles have to defeat that. I would imagine by just getting better at it well that's it for our show for now we've actually had to truncate this show so um this is alex goff coming in uh just a little bit after this show was recorded because we had a technical difficulties that um essentially undercut the rest of the show with mike and we are going to be redoing um our the second half of this where we talk a little bit about the players we talk a lot more about the usa under 20s and uh, we talk about the america's rugby championship which is very important for anybody who's interested in breaking into the national team and what we're doing to develop not only uh, today's national team but tomorrow's next year's 
and the national team for 2015. So we've uh, cut that short. This will be part one of Rugged Matrix America. We really appreciate you listening, and we will be back uh, very soon with the second half of this show, number 92, on Rugged Matrix America.